Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, burnout. How much does it really cost you? Thanks again for tuning in to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the weekly podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we've got a hot topic. It's all about burnout and the hidden and not-so-hidden costs. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. Well, burnout is something that affects many clinics. We've all dealt with an employee who just lost their passion. We deal with a boss who doesn't have the enthusiasm for their job anymore. We've all encountered it in some way, shape, or form. But there are real costs associated with burnout. In fact, according to a recent survey, a study done in the U.S., Burnout costs the U.S. business industry over $125 billion to $190 billion in a year. And that's not even counting lost productivity. That's just the health care costs. So, Cindy, burnout costs businesses a bundle. What about in the veterinary world? Absolutely. And so what's interesting is we don't necessarily have numbers in the veterinary profession, but we presume that the same uh, things that are affecting us in business are affecting us in veterinary business too. And we know that it's not just kind of the wellness side of it. I think there are some aspects of burnout we don't talk about enough. Uh, For instance, we talk a lot about the impact of burnout on depression and anxiety, but we don't talk about the flip side of it, which is that when we're burnt out, we also often don't treat the people around us as kindly as we might otherwise. And there's a huge price to incivility. There's a wonderful author, Christine Poarth, who writes in Mastering Civility and the Price of Incivility that generally a incivil employee is going to cost our businesses about eight times as much as the top 10% of producers. Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you, just as a longtime practice owner, those figures stack up. That is so true. And and Becky, you know, one of the things I often observe, you know, burnout, of of course, is often talked about around veterinarians, but I see it a lot in vet techs, too. Absolutely. And it's a conversation that we're having more and more and bringing more awareness to burnout. I think, though, there is a big gap between identifying burnout is there and finding the realistic ways of improving quality of life when you're experiencing burnout. I think a lot of technicians are stuck in a position of the financial instability where they can't address it. Maybe there's poor management within the practice that isn't handling um, the the effects of burnout within their employees or even identifying them. So I think it's a really valid conversation on all levels within our support teams. Yeah, everyone agrees that burnout affects all members of a veterinary staff team. But the one thing I really want to point out before we go into this topic deeper is that, in my opinion, if you're dealing with burnout It's a problem with the process, with the organization, with the business, with the managers, not necessarily the person. So, Cindy, sometimes we try to make this all about that individual. You've got the problem. You're burned out when maybe we should be focusing a little more broadly. Absolutely. And uh, one of the the books that's my absolute favorite talks about toxic emotions at work and that every single business is going to deal with 
troublesome things that happen in the business, toxic things that happen, whether that's toxic clients, whether that's a tough day, whether that's the illness or injury of somebody in the business. And so we've got to have things established in the business to help detoxify the things that happen. Um, so you can't just say, oh, when something bad happens, it's the fault of the the, the person involved. We have to to plan ahead for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Cindy, I guess we should also, before we go much further, is sort of define burnout. I think most of our listeners have an idea or an image of burnout. They've probably experienced it either firsthand or witnessed it in their workplace. But maybe let's define a little more clearly what burnout is in this context. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people get confused about the difference between compassion, fatigue and burnout. And there's a really distinct difference between the two. So compassion fatigue is often correlated with trauma. It's basically seeing other people going through trauma and secondarily experiencing that trauma yourself. So that has more to do with, you know, seeing clients who are experiencing the loss of their pet and not being able to do anything and being hard hit because of that. Burnout is a lot more complex. So burnout can also include just being exhausted and tired and frustrated. So um, it's not as specific to a an emotional trauma. So Becky, if, if you are out there, you know, talking to people in the veterinary technician or the veterinary world, um, what are some of the signs that you look for? What what are the things that you could identify in a coworker that might indicate they're having a problem? Well, I think to Dr. Cindy's point, one thing we want to look at is personality changes within that team member. So when yeah. that team member starts becoming sort of aggressive or snippy or short, perhaps they're becoming lackadaisical in their duties, things are getting left undone, absenteeism, we start to see changes within the staff member. And I think that's one of the first indications there's something going on with them. And it's the time we need to address it as soon as we start to see those behavioral changes. And if you're seeing those behaviors, behavioral changes in your workplace. Again, owners and managers, you got to own up to this. I mean, this is a problem with the structure of your organization. I, I really have never accepted the excuse that, well, that's Becky's problem, you know, or that's Cindy's problem. It's our problem as leaders and as, as business owners. So again, executives, business owners, whatever you want to call yourselves, managers, we have to own this. Um, I think that one of the things, Cindy, that always troubles me is that we're losing some of the best talent to burnout because they're the people that take on the extra duties. They're the ones that stay later. I mean, let's talk about in terms of productivity. Does burnout tend to affect some of the best and brightest? Absolutely. So there's the old saying, right, that the reward for doing a great job is more work, right? Right, right. So one of the things that we find is in nursing, for instance, that when we're in these burnout situations or when we're in a toxic environment, that's what they blame a lot of nurses leaving the nursing profession for. Uh, and so why would that not apply to our veterinary nurses as well? Why would that not apply to our other team members? It, it makes total sense. Um, and while certainly, you know, we need to focus on it as a, a hospital and managers need to take responsibility for what's happening systemically. Um, I do think it is important to remember that we are also responsible for our own behavior. So if we are starting to get snippy or if we are starting to treat our, our teammates rudely, um, you know, I think it's too often I see people say, well, that's just how I am. You know, that's just right. me. And I, th I think we do also have to have a responsibility for our own behavior. But I think the good news is too often we assume that 
that is just somebody's personality and that they're never going to change. And the, and the research doesn't pan that out. It shows that if we talk to people about the impact of their behavior, a, a lot of people actually will start to, to make a difference in their behavior. Right. And that's why, you know, again, as a business owner, I, I put this responsibility squarely on myself and management because I have to help identify because many times people mm -hmm. can't recognize it in themselves. They're going through these changes. Right. They're subtle. They take time. And it often requires someone in authority sometimes to say, hey, you know, what's going on? Is there something I can do to help? So, Becky, we talk about overload. And, and again, I think this is where veterinary technicians, the best veterinary technicians often suffer the most because, you know, when you're out there, you want to stay late. You want to make sure that that pet recovered fully. You want to do that extra phone call, but there's a cost. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't matter who you are and what stage of life you are in, there is a cost. And so, you know, a lot of times for some staff members, it's their children or a husband involved. Some other staff members are giving up time with friends or taking care of themselves, going to the gym, eating dinner, whatever it is. Um, and I think you're right. I, I love the point that you're making about this being a whole staff issue and a management issue. And, and we have to look at how those times are delegated, who's staying when, who's carrying too much of the load. And even when it is a fulfilling thing, sometimes we need to know when to say when. Um, even though staying with that patient and recovering them fully uh, over a 17-hour day is a wonderful thing to be able to do, and, and we feel responsible for our patients, we have to recognize that there is a time to turn it over to the next shift and make sure that the patient is taken care of by fresh eyes, fresh hands. It really is the best thing for everybody. Yeah, and Cindy, you started out by discussing around this. You said, hey, it's actually the home environment that maybe pays the ultimate price here, you know, because you're burned out and now you have no emotional reservoir left for your loved ones. So what what are some of the steps that you can take to maybe reserve a little bit of yourself without feeling guilty for maybe abandoning your clinic? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing that's important for us all to recognize is that there's a lot of data that suggests when we start working over 40 hours a week, we're way less efficient with each additional hour that we work. And of course, if we want our clients to get the very best or we want our patients to get the very best, we actually should be taking more of an effort to take time for ourselves because that way when we go to work, we're able to provide our very best. And so I think we need to start changing our mentality about what it means to be working well. You know, working well doesn't necessarily mean pulling those 17 hour shifts. Working well means working well while we're there and making sure we go home and rejuvenate ourselves while we're there. Um, and, you know, if we are in a workplace where it is tough to get away and to take time to exercise, to eat right and do those other things, what can we do to bring the, the mountain to Muhammad? Is there a way that we can incorporate more wellness into our workplaces themselves so people have a greater greater reservoir of energy to um, you know handle some of those tough days in practice. Yeah, and I'd like to now turn it just a little bit uh, towards the more subtle causes of burnout that maybe we don't talk about or think about as much in our daily lives. And and the first thing that I always, you know, I, I will tell you, and I have to attribute this to my wife, Laura, who is just an amazing business person, but she used to always tell our staff, you know, there's no such thing as multitasking. You must focus on the one thing in front of you at any given time. And she used to have this rule, and, and we have lots of these little rules at our clinics, but one of them was you don't interrupt, you don't try to have a conversation with someone who is counting pills to fill a prescription. Now, that's a subtle nod to saying that we need to be focused. Now, the reason that I mentioned this in terms of burnout is because if your day is constantly interrupted, 
you then you don't complete these tasks. You know, you, you wind up taking more time. We know from efficiency studies that actually when you're interrupted, it takes you longer to get back into that that work or task, whatever you were doing, um, and get that mindset going. So that does lead to a subtle form of burnout. Now, now Becky, I think this is a problem with veterinary technicians and receptionists in particular because you're constantly being pulled in 20,000 different directions. Yeah. Does that lead to frustration and burnout day to day? I think it, I think it can. And I think the work culture it makes all the difference in the world. Are you respecting the fact that I'm working? And, and you know, Miss Laura makes a great point, right? If you see that I'm counting pills, but you decide that what you need to say to me is more important enough to interrupt that train of thought and know that I'm going to have to go back and count them again, this is going to lead to burnout because I feel disrespected. I don't feel supported. If you come up to me, and you say, I have something important to talk to you about when you're done counting there. Okay, great. You understood that I was doing something important, but that your needs are important too. It's just a totally different level of respect, but... Sometimes it's inevitable. We work with multiple doctors. We work in a busy practice. There is some amount of it that is inevitable, but it's how we deal with it. It's how we address it. And it's how we approach it when we say, I know you have a lot of things to do. This is not a priority when you get to it. Helping me prioritize those tasks, showing respect for the fact that you know this is inevitable, but helping to make it a more pleasant experience as much as it can be, the multitasking can be done in a better way. Yeah, and, and I think now that leads me to another point I'd like to explore with you, Cindy, and that is, you know, time management. I mean, we are really busy as uh, veterinarians, associate veterinarians, veterinary technicians, and most of the time we don't have good time management skills. Um, what do you think about that? How, how does that lead to burnout? And then I'll share with you on the other side some of my thoughts. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm necessarily the best person to ask about <laughs> this because I, I definitely, this is something I struggle with. Um, one of the things I think I learned early in practice, though, is you got to realize what gives you energy in terms of your time management and what doesn't, because what might work for somebody is not necessarily going to work for you. Um, again, I think I've mentioned before that for me, I get a lot of energy from client communication. And so while for some people, it will give them a lot more energy to get home early at the end of the day, for me, I'm going to feel a lot more better and have a lot more energy and passion for my profession if I'm able to do my client calls and really feel like I educate them well. So it works a little bit differently for all of us. Um, I also realized that for me, trying to rush and not take specific time to think so if I have a complicated case, I finally realize that sometimes I just need to say, I need to go take a minute to think about this and to sort out all that's going on. Can you give me a minute? And that gave me the peace to kind of work through all of the problems that were going through a case and come back in a much more efficient way and address it uh, quickly. Whereas if I were just trying to rush through the problem, I probably would have missed things and ended up taking a lot more time in the long run. Wow. And I love that. So if you're listening today, that was some really good advice on an individual level. Now I'm going to kick it up a notch to management owner level because I believe, and my experience has certainly been, that time management is a top-down issue. So it is up to management leaders to kind of set the priorities. When and what should we be doing? Because oftentimes our technicians and our veterinary staff just don't know how to assemble their time. So they're just sort of doing what they think in the moment is the right thing, whereas it's lost in the bigger picture, the ultimate strategy. Now, if you're a manager today, I'm going to tell you, I know the time crunch that you experience, and you've got to learn 
how to control your time better because you've got demands between human resource management, which can really take a lot of time, versus the daily business tasks, the inventory, the phone calls, all the, all the stuff we do just to keep the thing running. So you you need to, to as Laura used to always say, we used to create for our managers time spaces. And that was there are certain times a day when, for example, if you were a technician, you could go in and speak with, you know, Joanne. Uh, and the, she had her we used to call them office hours, but these were just the times you could do it because otherwise what will happen, Becky, and I'm sure you've seen this so many times, you, 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 you're a technician, you're a team leader. It's toward the end of the day. You just want to go plop down in the manager's office and unwind. You know, you want to like let them know everything that happened. And the sad part is that then means that everybody stays late because that kind of, you know what I'm saying here, Becky? So I think that from a management standpoint, it's my duty to help my support staff govern their day, to give them structure, to help them not be frustrated and feel like, you know, wow, I'm always running behind. Any thoughts around that, you know, from what I'm saying from a top-down attitude? I just think it's so important what you're saying. And, and I think, again, and I've said it so many times, we end up as support staff members in management positions with very little training on how to do it. We're doing the best that we can, but it's all based off of, well, this is what how it's always been done, or this is how I was brought up in the industry, and this is how I was managed. And there are so much better ways we can be doing it. Time managing for your staff, helping them understand the ways to do it and showing that your time is a priority and my time is a priority and we're going to respect it. It's incredibly important. I don't know, Dr. Cindy, what do you think? Yeah, so I agree. And I think knowing what the priorities are and what order they are is really helpful. So knowing, you know, hey, any emergency cases, that's going to be our number one priority. We're going to drop everything and deal with that. If we have a, a patient that's here right now, that's going to be our next priority where that client needs to walk out of the door soon. Then we're going to get our sick drop-off cases. Then we're going to get our routine drop-off cases. So so kind of having some priority of, of what needs to get done when, because I think other Otherwise, you just do what's in front of you, and that's not always going to be the most efficient way to handle things. Yeah, bingo. And this is why, you know, you always have heard me and others talk about we do our huddles. We call them huddles at our clinics. But basically, the first thing in the morning before we start appointments, we got all of our staff, front and back staff together, and said, let's look at the schedule. And that helped us set those immediate priorities for the next two or three hours. We then huddled after the right before lunch break because we have people kind of spinning off in different directions. And then we huddled back right before um we started our afternoon appointments. Now we didn't close for lunch, but we did, you know, we didn't see appointments uh, during this period of time. And then at the last, the last bit of the day, we typically did two different huddles because end of the days can be crazy. So receptionists would huddle, tech staff would huddle, and they would just say, look at what's coming up tomorrow morning. So again, that's a simple little tip to help organize your time. And it does help you, I think, you know, stay on time and know what's ahead of you. Um, another thing though, I think that getting back to this topic of, of just of overload, you know, uh, Cindy, from a, an associate veterinarian, sort of knowing the priorities, having this discussion around burnout, how, how can that help you again know which tasks are important when you need to stay late versus you need to get out to go feed yourself or your family? I think one of the toughest things as a new associate is knowing what the expectations are. And a lot of frustration and a lot of stress in practices surround not understanding expectations. Uh, as a new graduate, 
I wasn't sure what to expect of my team. I wasn't sure what was expected of me. And that was the cause of most of the friction in my, my early years as a veterinarian, you know, what were their tasks? Uh, what was I supposed to be able to ask them to do? Um, how much was I supposed to double check them? Uh, what could they expect of me? And so I think setting those expectations and that those priorities decreases the stress a lot so that you don't feel like you just have to overperform because you you know when you are done. Wow, love that. And now a little slightly bigger shift here. Burnout is often accompanied by toxic workplace relationships. And I think the biggest catalyst for toxicity in the workplace is gossip, negative talking, clicking, front versus back, you know, managers versus doctors. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Becky, in terms of the damage of gossip leading to burnout, how big a problem is it in veterinary practice? Oh, I mean, I think it's one of the leading causes, especially if you're on the receiving end of that. But even if you're not a part of it and it's just going on around you, it can be incredibly uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, this is happening with the doctors, with management. It's not just support staff causing these issues. And so gossip has to be nipped in the bud. There has to be a zero tolerance policy. Having a sense and a culture of teamwork and working together is the only strategy. There can be there can be zero tolerance in this department. Absolutely. And there is actually a study. There's only one that I can find on bullying and veterinary practices. It's actually out of New Zealand. It was somebody's master's thesis, um, who's now a police officer, actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, but the number one form of bullying in veterinary practices is, is actually exclusion. Um, and so gossiping is just another way to kind of create clicks and to start excluding people. And it's it's amazingly subtle. And in some ways, that's what makes it so powerful is it's not like you can really go to management and, and say, oh, someone's just ignoring me. Like that, that doesn't sound like a very effective uh, complaint, but it's really emotionally powerful. And, and the creation of these clicks can be very damaging and very toxic. Oh, yeah. It, it's one of those things that I, I've been hammering about for all these years. I mean, gossip just kills uh team morale. Uh, another thing too, I think that leads to burnout, especially among intelligent, high achieving individuals, such as all of our audience, uh, is the lack of sort of, you know, creativity, the opportunity to, to solve problems, to be a participant, you know, to have a role in the destiny and vision and direction. I mean, Cindy, you know, I, I talk a lot about creativity because I think that people sometimes think creativity, oh, he just writes music and writes poetry or whatever. But really creativity is solving problems. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're not allowed that opportunity as a young associate veterinarian, as a veterinary technician, you get burned out. Any thoughts around how does creativity play a role in your job happiness or meaningfulness? And I'm really interested to see what Becky has to say about this as well. Um, at my first practice, there was actually a, a book club I was a part of with a bunch of the veterinary technicians and receptionists at my practice. And it kind of served as a catalyst for creative ideas about solving problems in our practice. And as a result of that, we started providing more pictures after dental cleanings for owners to understand, you know, the before and after of what had happened at their their dentist dental cleaning. Um, and and it was so exciting to see the the passion on people's faces when they felt like they were contributing to their business. Um, and if that effort was not supported, you also saw how deflated people felt. Right. Um, if you know they had really gone through this effort to take initiative and to help the business succeed, 
And then management didn't care or management didn't support them or didn't guide them. I mean, you know, not every initiative is going to work, but at least saying, how can we make this work instead of saying, well, that will never work. I totally agree. And, you know, I'm thinking of a TED Talk I listened to while you're speaking about failure. And I think when you have a practice that says failure is okay and we can make mistakes, it helps people feel more comfortable introducing new ideas. If you're in a practice where, you know, failure is not okay, uh, you're dealing with the God complex within team members and, and there are no mistakes that are acceptable, then you end up with a practice that is fearful of introducing new ideas and growing outside the box. And I would challenge the, the managers out there listening. Do you know why your support staff has their job? Why do they love their job? Why did they become veterinary technicians? Why did they become receptionists? What drove them to be there every day? What's important to them? Because if you know what's important to them, you can sort of help to fulfill that and make sure that that's an area that they're getting to be supported. And that's an area that they're getting to have their own fulfillment. And this is going to help to prevent that burnout. It's going to make them feel important. And like Dr. Cindy said, supported and excited about making changes within their practice. Yeah. And, and, that fear is one of the major places that we lose economic productivity and practices. If you're in a toxic work environment, in an environment that doesn't tolerate mistakes, it's you're not going to see necessarily a ton of people leaving. You sometimes don't see the effect of that. But even just people not bringing their best to work every day can be really financially damaging to a business. Oh, absolutely. And, and Cindy, I, the, the cost, the real cost, both in healthcare and decreased productivity, I mean, mm-hmm. these are hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's something we should take seriously. The last thing I'd like to touch on before we leave you this week are, are the things also that we have found as practice owners that can influence your your job satisfaction and certainly lead to not hopefully avoid burnout. And those are the environmental contributors. And yeah, we identified this years and years ago when we moved into our first large facility and we finally had dog boarding, you know, and it was only seven runs, but it still was dog boarding, you know, and the noise, the noise can create tremendous stress. So imagine if you're a person who works in a noisy environment all day long, are you providing, as we started out with earplugs, we then went to uh, noise canceling headphones, you know, and we actually had little radios that would plug into them. So what are you doing to actually reduce those environmental contributors to stress? The other thing, you know, that we found not only was, uh, that, that was also affecting your day-to-day, you know, enjoyment, uh, noise and smell. I mean, just think about it. And Mm -hmm. we're not talking about poop smells necessarily. There's a lot of chemical disinfectants. And I like some of the newer products that are coming out that sort of address this, that say, hey, we need to to take into account aroma for sure. And then finally, you know, for us, we knew that ergonomically, how easy it was to access equipment, you know, where the the four by fours were, where were the 22 gauge needles, like accessibility and ergonomics played a huge role in like you're just day to day getting through because if you're always searching for things a that's mental frustration but you're also now expending physical energy walking across the treatment area i mean so really take a, a keen eye and look at the ergonomics and how could that potentially be contributing to burnout in your practice absolutely i some days i think how much time am I spending finding the ophthalmoscope and how much does my time cost and would it just be cheaper to buy another ophthalmoscope? Oh, absolutely. I was recently visiting a clinic um, and I overheard this conversation. So there's two technicians and they, one technician says, how much longer are you going to be with the laptop? Mrs. Smith has been waiting nearly 15 minutes in the exam room. And I'm going, whoa, that's weird. You know, I'm thinking, well, obviously something just happened. They have a 
laptop that's broken or something like that. So I asked when the person goes into the exam room and I asked the person who had the laptop, I said, so uh, what did some laptop break today? She says, oh, no, we've been uh, short a laptop for two months now. Again, think about productivity loss. Think about emotional toil and and tension that's creating. You know, these are two texts that were nearly, you know, at blows because one had the the laptop. Imagine the toll it's taking on the, the client being forced to wait in the exam room for a laptop. And then when I brought this up to the owner, the owner's like, you know how much laptops cost? And I'm like, yeah, a lot less than it's costing you right now. Yeah. And I love that you make that point because when you look at that from a support a support staff standpoint, they're in this position that they can't get out of. They have to share that laptop. They've been told it's too expensive to fix another one. They've probably been blamed for breaking it and told they're now only going to be able to have one because we can't have two because you guys break things. Like, sorry, we're in an animal hospital and it's rough on things back here. And so they're made to deal with the repercussions of that and have the uncomfortable conversation with the client who's mad. In the meantime, while that manager or that veterinarian is not having to have that same experience in that same way, then there is a resentment built there. So you make an exactly amazing point in terms of buy another laptop. Come on and don't blame your support staff when things get broken. Um, If there's carelessness happening, yes. But at the same time, understand that that blame really sets them up for that burnout feeling. Oh, boy. I can tell you you know what? We better end this podcast now or we're going to burn out ourselves. We know that there are so many causes, contributors, and effects of burnout in the veterinary workplace. You've heard what we have to say about burnout. Now it's your turn. Let us know what burns you out, what really ticks you off, and what can we do to help save our profession? Absolutely. And reach out to us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And make sure to get on iTunes and leave us a review. Leave us five or four stars so we don't burn out doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) While you're there leaving that review, which, by the way, guys, I love reading those and really appreciate what you have to say about us. Don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And if this podcast sounded a little funny this week, it's because we had to do some last minute fixing up. Uh, We had some problems technically. And so hopefully we'll be right back to our high quality, pristine audio next week. But again, thanks for hanging in there. And remember, folks, there's no need for burnout. Just stay cool. Bye. 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 Bye.